0: The United States and the Soviet Union on a sheet of ice in Lake Placid, New York.
1: Muller trying to turn, there's the left foot! What a tracking shot! Johnny Muller. If
0: you see a 9-9, Olga Corbetts won a gold medal. There it is! Five seconds left in the game! Can you believe it?
1: You're listening to a podcast from Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, an online archive series showcasing the work of expert historians. I'm Vince Hunt and I'll be hosting the series, asking each guest to choose an important document or artefact they think is of great significance in the Cold War sports arena. Who is the greatest athlete of the Cold War sports period? There's no doubt in one man's mind, I am the greatest, even if he is talking about himself. That's Cassius Clay, better known to the world as Muhammad Ali. His rise to global stardom and to become heavyweight champion of the world began during the Cold War. But what's he got to do with the Cold War? The man who can answer this is history professor at Loyola University in Chicago and also a highly respected author who has a great knowledge of the turmoil of American society in the nineteen fifties, Elliot Gaur. Tell us something though of the turmoil in American society that Cassius Clay came out of?
0: Cassius Clay is from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh grows up during the very beginnings of the of the civil rights movement as it comes as it's comes to be known. He talks about in his memoir one of his first his first awareness when he's 13 years old of an incident that happens in 1955 in the Deep South in Mississippi. Uh, Clay is from, as I say, Louisville, the Upper South. He talks about the Emmett Till murder, uh, which takes place in 55, as I say. Emmett Till is a kid from Chicago, almost exactly Clay's age, 14 years old, he goes down to Mississippi to visit his relatives. He still has kin in, in Mississippi. Um, and as the story goes, he goes into a local Crossroads store and um, uh, uh, whistles at a white woman uh, who he finds pretty. And three days later, her husband and her husband's brother come and kidnap Till, and basically they torture him and murder him, throw him in the local river, the Tallahatchie River, uh, the body is found, brought back to Chicago. and Till's mother decides not to let this be buried. She says, famously, "Let the world see what I saw." And she has an open coffin for her son. Just this, this horrible—the way this this poor kid was beaten, just the swollen face. And Ali talks about very specifically in his autobiography, seeing the pre- the picture of Till smiling, which had been taken the previous Christmas, and then six months later this picture of him beaten almost beyond recognition and he talks about that as a galvanizing moment for him. Well meanwhile uh, Cassius Clay is a boxer. He's not a particularly good student, he's not interested in his studies, but he is interested in boxing and he's very good, very quick and he grows into a light heavyweight. Um, When he's 18 he goes to Rome in 1960 and becomes the American the light heavyweight champion, wins the gold medal. Pictures of him Beaming, standing on the uh, on the winner's stand, um, and that's the beginning, the very beginning of his career. He then, of course, turns professional, comes back to America, and in America, he talks about. He's asked uh, uh, before he goes to, I should say, before he comes back to Louisville. He's asked by a Russian reporter about, well, how can you represent a country where there are places where you can't even go to live or eat? It's segregated. Louisville is segregated and Ali says something like well we have good people working on that and i would certainly rather live in america than your country or words to that effect so he starts out as this sort of standard issue nationalistic good uh, uh, american athlete um he turns pro he's very very controversial partly for his boxing style he's very quick he's not the classic heavyweight of you know the the the, the great powerful knockout blow He's much, much quicker, much more a man of speed, but much more than that. Again, this is an African-American man in America in the early 60s. And he's not quiet and grateful in the mode of Joe Lewis, the way uh, uh, black athletes pretty much felt they had to be for the most part. Um, No, he's boastful. He talks about when he'll defeat his opponents, uh, he, he, tell, he he rhymes. He tells his his predictions of, of uh, what's going to happen in the fight in poetry. So he's not a popular champ in that sense with white Americans. Of course, he's very popular with African Americans, um, but he becomes pro, a pro, fights for four years, wins every fight, and finally he meets a man, the champion Sonny Liston, uh, in in 1964, and. Uh, Clay, um, no one expects him to win. He's a 7-1 to one underdog. Liston is a, uh, truly does have a, is a great puncher. Um, Clay defeats him and even defeats him rather easily to everyone's surprise. And the next day, uh, Mah- Cassius Clay declares, I'm a member of the Nation of Islam. Uh, what's seen by, especially by white Americans, as a radical religious sect uh, uh, believes not in integration, as is the mode in 1964 as the Martin Luther King uh, uh, um, uh, uh, position. I'm a member of the Nation of Islam. We believe in separation of the races. Uh, I'm not a Christian. I follow Allah, and the place goes nuts. Uh, Every reporter, not every reporter, most reporters condemn him, see him as a representative of hate, But he insists on this position. He's very, very clear about this, Um, very, very fervent in his belief. Um, uh, The Nation of Islam is an odd religion. It's a a relatively new religion. They believe some, there there is a theology that's a little bit odd, um, uh, that the white race is created by a mad scientist and so on. But it's a very, very interesting religion in terms of that moment of racial relations in America. And it is a place, very much a a religion for the poor. It's a place where many, many African Americans uh, begin to see a notion of a life for themselves that's separate from white America and dignified. Uh, And Ali is, this appeals very much to Ali.
1: I think at this moment, let's pull apart this social and political context of, of the black experience in American life and just put that into a context of, of the Cold War because at the same time, as as you say, uh, the Nation of Islam, you've also got Malcolm X, uh, you've also got the politicisation of uh, John Carlos and, and the Black Power Movement. I mean, people in the black community are starting to think beyond their position, aren't they, at this time? And that is one of the Achilles heels of America during the Cold War.
0: Absolutely. Uh, uh, And you you almost can't separate them out from each other. Um, Ali, uh, becoming a member of the Nation of Islam, it's actually, it is Malcolm X who becomes his friend and really converts him, really speaks to him. Um, He's a follower of Malcolm X and also of the head of the Nation of Islam, Elijah Muhammad. Uh, those two do have a falling out, and and Ali uh, continues to follow Elijah Muhammad. Um, but the point is, yes, this is at a moment of uh, this is at a moment in America. 1964 is the very year when, for example, the Civil Rights Act is passed. Um, uh, the following following year, the Voting Rights Act. And yet, people are starting to think, well, wait a minute. Those are important. Basic civil rights are, are essential. But that's not enough in and of itself. Um, this is also about work, this is about how we live, this is about how we think about each other black and white in America. So Ali is in the middle of this maelstrom. He really is, is thrown in the middle of it, this controversial figure. As I said, he's not a well-educated man, he didn't care much about school. When the army tests him, and this is where we're getting to in the Cold War, when the army tests him, uh, they, they find, they say that he has an IQ of 78, way below average. Way below their cutoff for induction into the army, uh, he gets he he's declared uh, 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 not one a which means you'll be drafted um, this is in nineteen this is this is initially, but then his draft status has changed. his draft status has changed because the Vietnam War after nineteen sixty four is beginning to uh, kick up and demand more and more troops. They reclassify him one a he is eligible for the draft, and that's when. It's a story that the New York Times reporter Robert Lipsight tells about how Ali is being asked all day. Reporters are calling. There are reporters around his house. What are you going to do now? You're 1A. You're going to go? And Ali simply says, I got no quarrel with them Viet Cong. And it's, it's, as, as Lipsight describes it, it's not a well-thought-out position. It's It's a young man. Don't forget, he's still in his early 20s. Uh, who sees his career threatened by this war and his life upset by this war. But then something happens. That 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 that, that moment when he says, I've got no quarrel with them, Vietnam, uh, them Viet Cong, happens in 1966. In the next couple of years, Muhammad Ali really starts to educate himself, be educated by others, read, think about it, and he really stakes out a position against the war. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's a position that has little to do with the conventions of Cold War politics in that era, of uh, the Viet Cong are communists. We have to stop the communists. The dominoes will fall. All of that that's going on in, in in the political discourse of the time. Ali's position against the war is quite explicitly about race in America. It's about the fact. It, it, turning back to that quote that he first had in nineteen sixty we got good people working on that well no we don't have good people working on nothing's happening. Um there are places in Louisville that I can't live where I can't get can't get a sandwich. How can I go ten thousand miles? And he's very articulate about this. How can I go ten thousand miles to fight people when our fight is here and my enemy is not those people in, in Vietnam. My enemy is
1: here in America. Well, that's very true, because, of course, at the same time, you have the attacks on Malcolm X and on Martin Luther King, and, and they're not just beaten up, they're assassinated. Right, absolutely. I and mean, these, are, these are very, very violent times. As you say,
0: there's a context for all of this. And, um, and Detroit is in flames. And, and shortly thereafter, Detroit and, and, and before long, Los Angeles, they're, they're, uh, Chicago, there the uh, riots. These are, these are extremely violent times that he steps into, and he's very, very, he is truly hated. Uh, by by most white people, certainly by the white press, by the newspaper reporters, Sports Writers Guild. Uh, um, but he insists that he will not go into the army. He uh, He's brought to the induction center in Houston. He refuses to take that step forward that would you're in the army now. He's tried, convicted of being a draft, draft evader, sentenced. But before any of that happens when he refuses to when he refuses to even consider being inducted before the trial he's stripped of his title his licenses to fight are withdrawn throughout america he's t- his passport is taken he cannot fight anywhere so he really has his livelihood taken
1: away and this is where the cold war uh comes in if only tangentially because of course Vietnam was a Cold War conflict. Right.
0: It's where, this is where race and the Cold War, race in the American version of, of, of race relations and the Cold War come, in, come into play, yes, that, that this is absolutely a Cold War conflict and he refuses to go and he is vilified uh, again, Take his livelihood taken away and so on, and yet at the same time there are he does have some supporters and time passes by. He's, he's, he's kept from his title He's kept from fighting for almost four years, his prime years, basically from age 25 uh, uh, to his late 20s, almost until he's 30. And in that time, uh, uh, he, decide, he starts to lecture at college campuses. He develops a bit of a following. But what also happens is as the Vietnam War grinds on, we reach our maximum troop strength of half a million or so American troops in 1968. And that continues year after year after year. And Americans are starting to get tired of this war. There's the beginnings of a reevaluation of Muhammad Ali that, oh, wait a minute, maybe this man was not so foolish. Maybe he knew something we didn't know. It's a very interesting that's that and that's the very beginning of his rehabilitation as an American hero, although today much of the politics are forgotten. Now he's just an old, great fighter who stood for something and believed in it, but no one wants to discuss specifically what.
1: Yes, perhaps uh, Muhammad Ali is better known now for uh, the moment where he stood up at the opening of the Olympics and, and he was shaking because of his Parkinson's disease. I mean, he has uh, he has transcended into uh, something else and um, maybe uh, today's generation don't remember uh, the rope-a-dope and the rumble in the jungle and, and uh, w- both of us, I'm sure, would refer uh, any students of boxing to those fights. You, if you don't mind me saying, uh, are uh, of an age to have, uh, remember those fights. Tell me your memories of uh, Muhammad Ali.
0: Oh no, no, absolutely. I, I do remember him from when he became champ uh, in 1964, and 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 uh, beating Sonny Liston and i I was just a teenage kid in Los Angeles, but I remember being fascinated by him. I remember being just absolute who is this guy? this you know this first of all the, the boxing style that's so different i mean hes he's people think he was for example, most people remember Sonny Liston, the champ being large in the Ali. he wasn't Ali was larger Ali was a big man he was six, three six, four, two hundred and ten pounds, but all speed, just all quickness. So that alone, and then there's out, outrageous boasting, some of which he learned, he said he learned that style from professional wrestling, from a particular professional wrestler, Gorgeous George. So there was this kind of outrageousness. He is such a 60s figure, and and, and in some ways anticipating the 60s, uh, and, and, and becomes so much part of that, which is, in a sense, my generation uh, in a certain way. So So yes, and of course the fights when he does come back, these amazing heavyweight fights. We haven't had a period of of boxing like that since where, where George Foreman and Ken Norton and three fights with Joe Frazier and just these amazing international fights. Uh, that alone, it was, they, he, was, he, was, he was just such a great, great
1: boxer. And a, an amazing box office as well.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Just he was he was uh, the best in that sense, just, just internationally. And as people say, I, I have no doubt it's probably still true the most recognized face in the world.
1: I was reading one account of fighting Muhammad Ali. What it was like to fight Muhammad Ali by another boxer, and he said he didn't fight in the way that normal heavyweight fighters would fight. He would punch on the move. Yeah, he was just again so quick. He would be. He he, he literally would be there. The
0: Ali shuffle, he called it. Uh, he as a heavyweight, you have to remember, this is a big man. And sometimes for entire fights, he's dancing, circling around the ring, circling, circling. No one had ever seen a heavyweight do that before. Heavyweights are supposed to stand and trade blows and, and, you know,
1: peekaboo, avoid each other to the extent they can, but not dance like this. Do you think in your assessments of this, I mean, you clearly appreciate his boxing skill. Do you think the world missed out uh, on having a huge kind of Cold War encounter, uh, Muhammad Ali against Klitschko or something like that?
0: Oh, well, That's a good question. You know, he had fought already, he, he was already uh, by his mid-20s when he was banned from boxing, he had already gone through so many other boxers. He was undefeated. He was so clearly the best fighter out there. And, and there, there could have been, you know, there could have certainly been fine matches in those years he missed. But it was almost, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I'm almost tempted to say it was a good thing that some years passed by when some other fighters could develop their skill and, until finally you did have these great matches uh, a little later in the 70s, in the early 70s. Uh, maybe that's not fair. A, a great Cold War, hmm, it's hard to imagine a match that would have been a truly fine match.
1: Well, because, of course, by going pro, he took himself out of the Olympics as a Cold War showdown scenario. But it's as you say, Muhammad Ali and the Cold War aren't easy bedfellows, are they?
0: No, no, and 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 again that's I think that's an important thing to remember about the Cold War. One of the reasons for the Cold War to be an odd backdrop for him if if you were African American growing up in the American South, the border states, even in the north really, the one thing you knew about the Cold War was that the whole anti-communist crusade of America, HUAC, the McCarthy era, the, the, uh, and so on was often used Uh, the charge of communism was often used as a stick to beat any kind of um, organizing, political organizing. Um, The NAACP, for example, was often, even after the NAACP had some people on the left that were purged in the 1950s, but even long after that there was constantly the charge, uh, if you read southern newspapers especially, of outside agitators. This is a communist organization. Um, And if you're African-American, you can't. You know that that has been used as a ploy, as a rhetorical ploy. You almost can't take it seriously because it isn't serious. It's 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 been a political stick to beat your opponents with for uh, 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 opponents of the of the
1: budding civil rights movement. Muhammad Ali is a boxer with his confidence, with his brashness, with the Ali shuffle. I, I've just been. Seeing those pictures in my head again, as you were talking about it, love him or hate him, and I loved him. trying to put him into the pigeonhole of the cold war is is perhaps doing him an injustice. He was bigger than the whole scenario he, he that 's something he kept doing um, almost any pigeonhole doesn 't
0: work. He was bigger than almost any scenario he 's really just such a remarkable figure. He just keeps breaking boundaries and 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 and, and showing himself to be again almost larger than life um and now like i say you know since the olympics in the 90s he's sort of been taken up as this icon that's that we don't examine very carefully but if you do go back to his early career as a boxer he truly was larger than life and 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 not just in
1: empty ways see he, he was a he's just a remarkable man and so in a way perhaps muhammad ali's legacy is the fact that he is in a way, in the bushfire of American society that that, that perhaps is, is marginalised in this Cold War. He is perhaps, if you can call Vietnam uh, a sideshow in the Cold War, which it clearly wasn't, but that's where he's taking us, isn't he? He's taking us into that domestic refusal of the Americans to go to fight in Vietnam, and Muhammad Ali is one of the figureheads in that. And keep in mind, he had every reason not to do
0: that. He had every reason to just keep his title, to not make waves. If he had gone into the army, just like Joe Lewis before him, he would have fought a few exhibitions for the USO for, for to entertain the troops. He never would have gone into combat. That wouldn't have happened. He had no reason to do this. There was just no reason to give up everything. And yet he insisted, this war is wrong. It violates my religious beliefs. I won't go. Uh, He had the opportunity to flee to Canada. He was not interested. Uh, None of that.
1: He wasn't a runner, was he? No. No, he was not a runner. Not at all. You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Centre's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org.